It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Scott in here with you, along with Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan and Susan Littlefield. We are being entertained by watching a little bit of uh, ping pong in the Olympics, and uh, it's not something any of us probably want to really do, but uh, they're good. They're good, I guess. Whatever's. Reminds me of the battles we used to have in the Jorgensen household I bet. in the basement. Yeah. Just like Not, that. Just, just, just like exactly that. like this. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, let's turn it over to Susan. Susan, hello. How are you? I thought she was. Let's. Uh, we'll come back, see if we can't grab her. Jason, let's start with you. And it's, a, it's official, though. The worst kept secret the last yeah. week. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas have let the Big 12 know they will be aiming for greener pastures as they will not be renewing their media rights with the league. Now, that current contract is was set to run until 2025. There has to be something in the works. There is no way that Oklahoma and Texas would be essentially lame ducks in a dead conference for the next four years. How long was <clears throat> Nebraska's transition to the Big Ten? Was I think it, it was just, just one, one year. That's the way so it too. normally is, because the longer you stay, there's bad blood. There's no reason to stick around. Although I had seen reports that if Oklahoma and Texas were to leave, they each would owe the Big 12 close to $80 million. Yes. But here's the kicker. If they leave, and then other schools leave the league, and there's no conference, then if you're Oklahoma and Texas, who do you pay the money to? <laughs> they, they probably that. figured that into their dastardly plan <sighs> as well. They knew if they left, then that would start a mass exodus and there'd be no league left. Wow. Also, uh, rumors and reports that the SEC may not be done, that they made overtures to both Ohio State and Michigan to have them leave the Big Ten and join them in the SEC to have a super, super league of 20 schools. Mm. Wow. It may not be done, folks. Just Hang on tight. Well, and they kind of made it sound like they were allowing themselves to maybe, if they wanted to go somewhere else, they can still do that. They're not saying, we're going to the SEC. No, but everybody, just, everybody knows. When you don't renew your contract, and that's where they're headed. They're not headed to the MAC. <laughs> but but the Big 12 is going to look a lot like the MAC yeah, here pretty soon, and the Mountain West and everything mm-hmm. else. That's... Uh, it's quite a change. Also, we'll talk about the uh, Nebraska Coaches Association All-Star Basketball Games tonight in Lincoln. Number of area kids, especially in the girls' game, will be playing in that game. Legion Baseball continues on, and we'll hear from Nebraska Athletic Director Trev Alberts about, you know, where's Nebraska's spot in the Big Ten? Uh, Trev was in Indianapolis last week, really played nice, and uh, Huskers kind of kissed the ring a little bit of Commissioner Kevin Warren kissed and made up. All right. We'll see how that works out. Thank you, Jason. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan. Stocks are a little mixed today. Stocks are wobbling back and forth between small gains and losses in trading. Investors pausing after the market rallied to more record highs last week. Meanwhile, sales of new homes fell for a third straight month in June, dropping by a little over 6%. And uh, also, uh, Perkin Elmer will spend about Five and a quarter billion to acquire BioLegend, which makes antibodies used in gene therapy and reagents for drug discovery. All right, all kinds of stuff here as we get going. Five, six, seven. Time for us to take a look at weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And uh, our very own Tyler Cavalli is in here still. Watching ping pong and just being 
I don't know what the word is. Amazed isn't the... I don't feel like amazed is the right word. Mm. Intrigued? Yeah. I, I love when they get ready to serve, and they just hold it like yeah. it's this what delicate egg. Right. And then they just... It's almost like they're getting ready to blow on it. The way that they get down, and then they... They serve it. Right, uh, and, they, and they hide it. They, it's almost like they're yeah. hiding it, because the first couple of times, I thought the guy was, was bouncing it off his forehead. I, I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> he might be. Maybe he is. It's know. a soccer thing. I don't know, but it is. A, that's one of the interesting things about the Olympics, is you get to see some stuff maybe you wouldn't know. Well, the doubles. The doubles is insane for ping pong. I mean... That is full it, contact ping pong, right? There's not even that much room, and you have two people on each side. That, that's, that's crazy stuff there. You can can you imagine uh, dedicating your life no. to ping pong? No, I can't. Uh, I, but listen, if it pays off, I shouldn't say pay off because does it? I mean, I guess if you win Olympic gold or if you place overall, but do you even get paid at any point in the in the? Is there is there marketing somewhere that you can go do commercials for ping pong yeah. balls? Maybe are you the face of Serbia? <laughs> If uh, you're the dominant ping pong player, and I and I would like to mention that the one guy that was playing was ROC, and and yeah. uh, Jason and I were going. I don't know who ROC is. Yeah, Russia. Well, that, that is Russia. Yeah. But they're not usually there are US, but Russia is not officially part of these Olympics. Yeah, I think there's like a couple of sports. They're they are Russia that they're classified as Russia okay. for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't remember which ones they were, but then the rest of it is basically. They're like affiliated with Russia, kind of but independent. Then, yeah, and they don't get the the, uh, the the when they win, they don't get you know you get your national anthem. Mm-hmm. They don't get the Russian one. They have to like get a certain one, and like the music is all different. It can't be too Russian. Uh, it's all weird stuff going on here. It's very interesting, but it's all because of the doping thing that yeah. happened many years ago. So if maybe you cheat, they, that's what happens. Maybe they can pick their song. I guess Miley Cyrus coming in like a wrecking yeah, ball. Party in the USA. Right. You have actual stuff you should tell us about, shouldn't you? Yeah. Well, today is going to be a preview of really what is to come in in terms of the heat for Tuesday and Wednesday. In fact, there's been a heat advisory that uh, that will go into effect Tuesday and Wednesday. That'll last until 9 p.m. on Wednesday, as the majority of the area will remain dry for today. But there is an outside chance for a few isolated storms this afternoon across portions of north-central Kansas. Now, cloud cover is expected to gradually diminish with time today and southerly winds topping out around 10 to 15 miles per hour. Now, high temperatures are forecast to climb to the upper 80s to lower 90s across our listening area today. And as we get into tomorrow and Wednesday, the main story remains with increasing heat across the area. But with combined increased dew points, heat index values both Uh, Days are expected to range from 100 to 108 degrees. Otherwise, high temperatures will be right around the mid-90s to near 100 degrees. But again, with that dew point, heat index values 100 to 108. So very, very warm in the next couple of days. Now, thankfully, there will be at least some wind with southerly winds both days around 10 to 15 miles per hour. However, it's going to feel like a furnace, likely. A frontal boundary sinking south into the area on Thursday will bring a little relief from the heat to mainly northern portions of the area. But afternoon highs still look to reach the upper 80s in the north to upper 90s in the south. Now, as heat across the United States, but with some shower potential and flooding concerns for China, are the weather factors holding the market's attention today. A front brought scattered showers to the Midwest this past weekend, some more than others, and has benefited some areas of northern Minnesota and northern Wisconsin. Much of the drier areas in the Northwest that are 
and drought saw little to no beneficial showers. Wider southern and eastern areas saw more scattered moderate to heavy rainfall, but no significant flooding as Minnesota is in line to have another couple of shots at rain early this week, which would help with drought conditions in some areas, while other areas will remain mostly dry. Temperatures will be high across the west with highs well into the 90s Fahrenheit before a system moves through on Wednesday and Thursday that will be more widespread showers. Another round of beneficial rain will then possibly come through this weekend and may get most of Iowa with timely rains. It could give more heavy rain to saturated soils in Missouri and Illinois, however. Now, scattered showers will move through the southern plains this weekend, causing some delays to the ongoing winter wheat harvest. And while most areas saw only a light rainfall, there was a strip of heavy rain along the Nebraska-Kansas border that produced some flooding this past weekend. Scattered showers helped some areas, but the region needs more moisture for reproductive corn and soybeans. Overall, light showers will not be much of a benefit. Uh, high temperatures near 100 degrees will dry soils as well, leading to some stress this week. Meanwhile, scattered showers moved across the Dakotas this weekend, but were not particularly heavy or widespread. Isolated showers may continue through the northern plains this week, but no significant showers are forecasted until a system moves across the south on Friday into Saturday. Moderate to heavy rainfall will be possible in South Dakota this time frame, but the rest of the region could stay dry until a system moves through early to mid-next week. Heat near or eclipsing 100 degrees will cover will continue through Wednesday before a weak front pushes temperatures back towards 90 degrees for the rest of the week. Isolated showers will then move to the Delta this weekend and will continue through Wednesday as more rainfalls are expected with a weak front moving through on Friday and another system moving through during the weekend. Conditions remain mostly favorable or reproduct for reproductive cotton and soybeans. In the southeast, nearly daily scattered showers and thunderstorms continue to produce favorable conditions for developing to reproductive cotton for the next week. And the Canadian prairies were dry this weekend with temperatures nearing 90 degrees across the south. The combination continues to stress reproductive to filling wheat and canola. Limited rainfall chances and temperatures mostly above normal will continue to be unfavorable for the next week. Meanwhile, dry weather occurred in Brazil this past weekend as a front will bring showers across southern areas early this week, but also with falling temperatures again. Another round of frost will be possible Wednesday through Friday mornings, and it is getting too late for much of the rain to have any benefit, and luckily too late for much of the corn crop to be affected either as crops race toward maturity. Winter wheat will not enjoy the below-normal temperatures, but damage is not expected to occur. Finally, very little rainfall occurred in Ukraine and western Russia during the weekend, but temperatures were closer to normal. Systems will continue to pulse through Europe, with which will bring periods of showers through Ukraine and northwest Russia during the course of next week. <clears throat> Excuse me. But will likely miss southwest Russia and the Volga Valley, areas that could be more use more moisture as temperatures go back to normal. All right. Good stuff. Well, it, it sounds like we... All of the United States is going to be hot and uh, over the next week or so. So that will affect things. And, uh, boy, those Canadian prairies could sure use you can use a bath up there, man. It has been hot and dry a long time. A lot of us need a little soaker once again, but it doesn't look like there's uh, good chances for a while. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. That's for sure. Where do you go to check in on your weather? For more weather, visit krvn.com. Public Power District. Checkout-funded nutrition programming is aiming to reach the health professional audience with beef nutrition research and continuing education opportunities. 
Abby Hadari is the director of nutrition for the Kansas Beef Council, and she talks about some of the topics of interest that the Kansas Beef Council is focusing on this year. The 2020 Dietary Guidelines broke new ground and laid the foundation for providing guidance on nutrition recommendations for infants and toddlers from birth to 24 months of age. These new recommendations by leading health authorities has steered checkoff-funded programming to focus on this important population and the science behind recommending beef as a first food. Recently, the Kansas Beef Council partnered with the Kansas WIC program on June 15th to offer a live virtual webinar titled Picky Eater Prevention, What the Science Says and How to Empower Parents. Sally Kamenchek, registered dietitian, author, and blogger at Real Mom Nutrition, presented the webinar to 75 registered dietitians, nurses, and nutrition educators who provide personalized nutrition and health education to pregnant and breastfeeding women, new moms, and kids under the age of five within Kansas families who qualify for the program. And Abby describes what information the nutrition educators gain from this webinar opportunity. This webinar discussed what parents can do and avoid doing in the first few years of life that will help shape their child's preferences and eating habits for years to come. Sally highlighted the benefits of introducing meat, including beef, as a first food for their infants. She gave examples of how meat can be introduced in puree form or in graspable pieces of food with baby-led weaning. The content provided consumers with how-to knowledge to effectively and safely introduce beef into their baby's diet. This online learning opportunity will continue to provide continuing education to a larger Kansas WIC staff as it's housed in the Kansas WIC's online training portal over the next two years. Continuing education opportunities for WIC nutrition educators increases accurate firsthand knowledge that can be conveyed to the larger consumer audience reached during daily nutrition advice and recommendations. Abby also shares some additional details regarding the Beef in the Early Years campaign. The Beef in the Early Years campaign helped raise awareness and educate the public about beef's nutritional benefits and provide parents with how-to information through a new webpage with recipes on beefitswhatsfordinner.com, through a health professional infographic that brings to life research supporting beef's nutrient package of protein, iron, zinc, and choline for healthy growing bodies and brains in a highly visual manner through a health professional toolkit that's going to go out to more than 2,200 pediatrician and childbirth offices this late summer, and with social media content that reached 97.5 million impressions and nearly 15 million video views. Lastly, we were able to extend the national webinar here in Kansas that reached about 3,400 registrants. Nearly 70% of the attendees of that early years webinar in the last spring, we're very confident in recommending beef as a complimentary early food for infants and toddlers. This was an 18.2% increase from their pre-webinar survey. And she talks about what future programming is in store. Future extension continues as we plan a complimentary webinar in partnership with the Oklahoma and Texas Beef Councils this fall that aims to improve the level of confidence healthcare professionals have when recommending beef as a first food for infants and toddlers. For more information and resources about feeding beef in the early years, including recipes and infant preparation and feeding tips, you can visit beefitswhatsfordinner.com. That again is Abby Hadari. She's the Director of Nutrition for the Kansas Beef Council. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Period. 
It is 1224 here on a Monday, and uh, back with us again is Jason Jorgensen, fresh off the Big Ten Media Days in Indianapolis, and we've been talking a little bit about it off. Mike, sounds like it was a pretty pretty good experience. It was, but a lot of the oxygen uh, was sucked out by the talk yeah. of Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12, and that actually came a formality today. Uh, they have notified the Big 12 they will be not re-renewing their grants and media rights following expiration of the 2025 season. Now, providing notice to the league is important in advance of the expiration of the conference's current media rights deal. Now, as of now, they say the universities intend to honor the existing grant of those agreements, but, Scott, I can't see those two staying in this league for four more years being lame ducks in a potential dead conference. That's like uh, getting divorced and yeah. living in the yeah. same house. You know, I mean, some people do it. They do it, <laughs> but I just can't. I would, and the Big 12's got to move on. Yeah, they do. So, so and mm-hmm. and when we've seen other schools move and change conferences, much like Nebraska, they did it within a year. Yeah. That's how you should do it. But each school faces heavy buyout fees to the league if they leave. But if they leave and then the rest of the league falls apart, who would they pay the money to? That might be part of the plan too. More to come. Yeah, As the talk of conference realignment heats up again, New Nebraska Athletic Director Trev Alberts is looking to get off to a good start with Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. Alberts says he wants Nebraska to be a valuable member of the league. I told him we're going to do our part, um, but I also want him to know that you know the University of Nebraska is a proud institution that has strong feelings in a lot of areas. And I want to be able to have the relationship with him to be able to communicate those in a way that are respectful, but yet that our institution's voice is heard. And uh, I, I believe wholeheartedly that the Commissioner Warren is interested in that. I have no idea what kind of a commissioner Trev Alberts will be, but I know one thing. He's pretty smooth in front of the camera and the microphone. He, he can talk a good game. He is scheduled to meet with the commissioner in face-to-face meetings this week. Of course, Nebraska and the Big Ten have been at odds in the past involving key issues, especially when it comes to football. The Nebraska Coaches Association All-Star Basketball Games are set for tonight in Lincoln. Broken Bow head coach Kelly Cooksley is the head coach of the Red Squad. Boston Boucher of Wood River, Gracie Hanneberg, of North Platte. UNK Prize recruit Samantha Moore out of Mullen and Callie Staples of Broken Bow will play for the Red Squad. In the boys game, playing for my region is Jack Johnson of Kearney. He'll play for the Reds. Girls game is at 6. Boys game is at 8. Longtime Gothenburg track and cross-country coach Steve Reeves was honored by the Nebraska Coaches Association last night. He arrived in Gothenburg in 1979 after starting his career at Ashton Greenwood. He was honored with the George O'Boyle Award for his work in those two sports. Well deserved absolutely uh mr reeves and and my son ran for him and stuff like that and doesn't there's just nothing there's no more good things to say about reeves he was a good guy very consistent uh, yes. his time there gothenburg legion baseball continues on b6 seniors at minden it's mccook against broken bow and a winner's bracket game at two donovan trumbull plays gothenburg at five minden takes on holdridge at eight you can hear that one on kuvr and at the c6 highline beat ord yesterday 10 to 2 they stayed alive they will play pwg at six in elimination game winner's bracket side of that tournament has dcb against shelton gibbon at eight that's sports for more find it anytime at krvn.com. All right, thanks, Jason.
It is time for us to take a look at news and what's going on around us. Dave Schroeder in here, live and in color. Hello, Dave. <laughs> hey, How are you? Good afternoon to you. <laughs> Thank you. you. Thank Doing you. good. Well, police are investigating a fatal shooting in Hastings. They say it was reported around 10 p.m. Friday night. When officers arrived at the home, they found a 28-year-old man with a gunshot wound and dead inside. The victim was identified as Santanori Adalberto Gonzalez of Harvard. Details about the circumstances of the shooting weren't immediately released and no arrests reported, but officials said there was no threat to the public. Police initially detained a person of interest in the case, but later released that person. The Hastings Police and Nebraska State Patrol are investigating, and an autopsy will be performed today. Nebraska Game and Parks' Greg Wagner says with the weather like it is, fishing should be done in the very early morning. But let us point out that the first light of the day is the time to do all of your outdoor activities, whether you're checking your trail cameras for deer or turkeys, or you're going to fish. First light of the day, coolest part of the day, and I'm fishing till about 9 or 9.30 in the morning, then I'm done. More information, head to OutdoorNebraska.org. In Omaha, a woman was killed and a man saw his leg severed in a high-speed crash. They say it happened around 8 p.m. last evening in northeast Omaha when a speeding car swerved onto a city street, went out of control, and hit a utility pole. The impact saw that small car fold in half and wrap around the pole. The driver, 24-year-old Akima McWilliams of Omaha, was pronounced dead at the scene. Two male passengers ages 20 and 22 sustained serious injuries and were taken to an area hospital. One of the legs of the 20-year-old passenger was severed in the crash. Meanwhile, U.S. Senators are running into new problems as they race to seal a bipartisan infrastructure deal. The pressure is mounting on all sides to show progress. It's make-or-break week on President Joe Biden's top priority. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. On Facebook. The popularity of kidney beans continues to grow as more folks find out it's not just for chili anymore. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Last week, I was outside of Eau Claire, Wisconsin at the Nebraska Farm Technology Days and got to catch up with Cindy Brown. She's with Chippewa Valley Bean. They grow a tremendous amount of kidney beans. And she talked to me a little bit about the company and how a kidney bean is growing. Well, Chippewa Valley Bean is a company that my dad started. My dad is Russell Doan, and he grew his first crop of kidney beans in 1969. From that point, he needed a place to market, so he worked, we have to say, Bush Brothers in Augusta, Wisconsin was the start of our business. That was where we were able to sell our beans, and we still do. But he also decided that maybe he needed more than one buyer, so he developed Chippewa Valley Bean as a marketing arm for the beans he grew on his own farm. And he was pretty successful, and some of the neighbors started taking a look, and they said, Man, maybe I should be growing those kidney beans. Well, now we're buying kidney beans from maybe over five different states. We have 
well over 100 family farmers that work with us. We have a division that takes care of organic beans, but we also handle dark red, light be- dark red kidney beans, light red kidney beans, and white kidney beans, so a little bit of everything. We export. The majority of our product goes into Europe. Actually, we export about 70% of what comes through our plant, so we're quite a, a large operation on kidney bean side. We have a number of wonderful farmers throughout Minnesota and in Wisconsin. We're trying to grow our acreage in Wisconsin. And here at Farm Tech Days, we're growing kidney beans. So as we bring in equipment and we talk to people who are interested in trying to grow a a different crop, a rotation crop that brings back a lot of value to the farm. So what would a farmer need to know the difference between raising kidney beans, shall we say, and, and a normal soybean crop that they might be used to? Well, the growing techniques may be a little bit different. I think we see that um, that kidney beans will need a little more attention, maybe with um, blight or some or uh, common common blight or maybe um, white mold along the way. But there's various practices we put into place. They're a little more difficult than a soybean plant because the farmer needs to harvest them with a specialty harvester. The value of kidney beans is based on that whole seed staying intact without any damage to it. So you can also see here we have a specialized harvesting equipment that will take care of that. Let's talk about the harvesting of beans. Kind of explain the process. Uh, I'm assuming at the fall that you will be doing this? We will be. And looking at beans is not unlike the process is not unlike doing alfalfa, except we wait till beans are in the dry stage. We come through with a one-step, which is a rotter that pops the beans out of the ground and leaves the, the beans in a windrow. Or you can go through with a knife-style cutter that cuts them off at the top of the soil. And they're put into a windrow, similar to alfalfa. And then they dry down. And, you know, you may wait till they're dry to, to cut them, or you may cut them when they're a little bit green and let Mother Nature do the trick. They go through the specialty harvester, and then they are, the pods are taken away, and the beautiful, beautiful mahogany bean comes out into the back. What is it about the American and foreign palate when it comes to kidney beans? Well, kidney beans are a pulse, and a pulse is a dry bean, a pea, a lentil, or a chickpea. They're all part of the family that has edible seeds growing in a pod. And we see bean and pulse production growing. We also see consumption growing. We were fortunate enough to have the UN declare 2016 as the International Year of Pulses. And from that point, we saw more opportunities for growth for our farmers here in the U.S. But why do people eat kidney beans? They eat them because they're healthy. Beans are full of fiber and various other nutrients, and not to mention protein. So when you put kidney beans in your diet, you're doing yourself a favor because you'll be a lot healthier and live a lot longer just because of the fiber and the whole aspect that goes along with it. And the diversity of what that bean is. It's not just for chili by any means. My goodness. Did you try our Mediterranean bean salsa that we have to try? It's olives, tomatoes, peppers. It's totally delicious on a summer day. But they're, they're very versatile. You can use kidney beans in literally everything. If you go to our website, we have an amazing bean brownie that's gluten-free. It's top of the line, I tell you. But if you're making something at home, you're thinking about a salad, a soup, uh, perhaps even a hot dish, there's always room for beans. Now, my mom was the first bean queen. She really paid attention to this, and she taught bean cooking classes. You'll find that she'll make an apple crisp, and she'll put beans in it. She'll make a scalloped potato and she'll put beans in it. So, you know, we we do what we do. Why don't you share with us your website? Our website is www.cv, 
bean.com. So it's the initials from C as in Chippewa, V as in Valley, the word bean.com. That was my conversation with Cindy Brown. She is with Chippewa Valley Bean. Encourage you to go check out their website. There's some great recipes that are available, really showcasing the diversity of kidney beans. And on a side note, to our producers out there listening that want to do some diversification within their farming operation, she did tell me off the air that they are looking to do some expansion, and they're looking for farmers who might be interested in learning more about growing kidney beans. So you can find out more details as well by going to the Chippewa Valley Bean website. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. With a business report for Monday, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are wobbling between small gains and losses in trading on Wall Street as investors pause after the market rallied to more record highs last week. Big technology stocks are the biggest weight on the market as China increases restrictions on Internet apps and other companies. Sales of new homes fell for a third straight month in June, dropping by 6.6%. The Commerce Department reports that the June sales decline left sales at a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 676000 That followed a 7.7% sales decline in May. The median price of a new home sold in May was $361,800, up 6.1% from a year ago. Perkin Elmer will spend about $5.25 billion to acquire BioLegend, which makes antibodies used in gene therapy and reagents for drug discovery. The Waltham, Massachusetts company says it will pay cash and stock for the privately held BioLegend in a deal expected to close by the end of the year. Perkin Elmer sells testing equipment and scientific instruments. It estimates that BioLegend will generate $380 million in revenue next year. A new poll from the Associated Press, NORC Center for Public Affairs Research, finds that 54% of Americans judge the economy to be in poor shape. That's compared with 45% who say conditions are good. The results point to the risks of inflation to President Joe Biden's agenda. Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package and the strong gains in jobs have not swayed public opinion much. The results suggest that inflation worries many Americans who filter their thoughts about the economy through their politics. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. heat of county fair season across the state of Nebraska. So what better way to celebrate than by catching up with some of the area 4-Hers? And today we're on the phone with Harley Hedrick. She's going to be a fifth grader and she is in York County 4-H. Harley, first of all, tell us a little bit about your 4-H experiences and some of your 4-H projects. So there has been a lot of projects that I have completed in 4-H. Some of them include communication posters, home decor projects, Then there are contests, like presentations, where I was able to make homemade air fresheners. I put together floral arrangements, and this year I'm taking more vegetables from my garden. And my favorite project I'm taking is some of my homemade goods. Awesome. So Harley, one thing that you mentioned was that you do some public speaking in 4-H. 
You didn't mention, though, that you competed in the state 4-H speaking contest, specifically with your public service announcement. First of all, tell us a little bit about what your PSA was about. It was about opportunities for all and to encourage kids to join 4-H. Okay. And recap the state competition for me. What happened? So I just competed in my county fair and got grand champion in that. And then the extension office took my PSA and sent it to state. And then I saw my name on the finalist list. And I got super excited. I was super anxious to see what I would get. And then I had to wait till awards. And I found out I was third place. That is awesome. What is that feeling like? At the beginning, I was really nervous because I didn't want to get sixth place. I really wanted to get higher. And I'm super proud of myself because I'm only going to go into fifth grade. And I was third in the entire state of a lot of kids who competed. That is amazing, Harley. Okay, so with that in mind, I know you said you have a lot of things that you do in 4-H. What's your favorite part? Probably competing in my county contest, like the presentation, culinary, and the speech. Because I am a very competitive person when it comes to these challenges. So I really like to participate in them and I try my best. Well, Harley, I tell you what, we've got about another minute for this interview. So I want to take this next minute to play your public service announcement that you submitted that ended up earning the third place title at the State 4-H Speaking Competition. So without further ado, here is the PSA from Harley Hedrick winning the bronze medal. Hey, Nebraska, Harley here. I want to take a minute and share with you some different things 4-H has to offer. Whether it's raining, snowing, cold, or hot, there's something for everyone. Did you know that you can learn life skills that you will use forever in programs like 4-H? With hands-on experiences in a variety of areas, there are opportunities for all. You can learn about your health, habits, and what keeps us going. You can also learn about the agriculture that is all around us. And don't forget about the many areas of science that 4-H covers. Phew! Sounds like a great time. Make lifelong friends, set short and long-term goals, and, most importantly, have fun! Learn more about the Nebraska Extension 4-H Youth Development Program at 4-H.unl.edu. That again is York County 4-H'er Harley Hedrick, and she will be a fifth grader this fall. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Play Patton back on the Rural Radio Network as we check in on the closing grain trade now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, some green on the screen, those corn and soybean bulls just not giving up on the day. Wheat, on the other hand, they found plenty of sellers to hold them down throughout the end of the close. How important is this afternoon's crop progress numbers to maybe turn this market back around tomorrow? I think in my newsletter I saw the most kickback messages of out of office seen some time, so I don't know if the market is going to do much this week. I don't know if that means much, obviously. When I'm out of the office, sometimes the market's more volatile, so certainly don't want to compare it to vacation time for folks, but there really isn't a whole lot different to trade than, than we've kind of noticed the last few weeks. Um, we settled into a you know idea that 
yield's going to be in the high 170s for corn and above 50 for beans. Until that something's knocked off that pedestal, I don't know if we're going to get anything in the crop progress reports that uh, are going to surprise anybody. I mean, the story's really the same as it was on Friday. We'd like to see some Chinese purchases. I think that's helpful for the demand side. But uh, on the... Uh, as far as supply side goes, it's just anybody's guess at this time of the year. And, you know, speaking of supplies, when we go to the global, obviously we see Brazil's corn harvest going on right now. The freeze that's causing so much concern has coffee up over 9% today. Realistically, that's kind of like a late fall freeze here in the U.S. They're already harvesting, so not that big a concern for corn. Yeah, I think that weather stories matter when they matter. And in this case, the freezes for, for coffee, you know, this isn't the first freeze. We've been in for a while. I'd say if you're looking for outside market support as well, you got two two things going on. One copper exploded the last two days, up like forty cents. So that means something out of China. I don't know exactly what, but you know that would be my kind of radar. And then on the uh, on the other side, it's oats. You know, is, if you want to believe in that trade, oats oats knows it's uh, it's up above four fifty now, and I think that's an indication here that prices can trade higher. Uh, as far as per metric ton basis here, then the board like the U.S. is pretty pretty cheap relative to, you know, free on board prices in most of the country. So I think an interesting trade to watch will be September versus December corn over the next couple of weeks. And then the same for the Minneapolis wheat. Watch December, how it trades against September. September could get real wild. Uh, and that that three-month spread could, could go, you know, 50 cents, something like that. I wouldn't be shocked to see it happen. We're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing Chicago, publisher of the Daily Newsletter This Week in Grain. If you'd like to sign up for that newsletter, check out danielsagmarketing.com. That's danielsagmarketing.com. Again, John does provide that as a free service. Don't even have to be a customer. Just go in and check out his daily commentary. Learn more at danielsagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. And that will do it for Midday here today. If you'd like to hear the Midday program in its entirety, you can sure go to krvn.com, and you can just go to the podcast, and it will be there, like by magic. It's one twenty-six.